We're in Galatians chapter 5 this morning, and I encourage you to open up your Bible, and that way you'll be ready for that. I want to read verse 1, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Many who have done a careful study of this uh, little book of Galatians have concluded that this is the theme verse of the whole book. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. When we last looked at that verse, which was a couple weeks ago, I shared with you that your grace has a foundation. Now, this is review, but we build upon that. Your grace has a foundation. And the first part of Galatians 5.1 reads, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Now, folks, that is a profound statement and explains the first four chapters of the book of Galatians. Because what God, or what God, yes, through Paul does there is he explains to you your justification. God taking you and declaring you righteous. God taking you and placing you in his son. Your spiritual birth, that you were born into God's family. We call that justification. And that is a once for all act that God does to the person, the unsaved person, bringing them into saving faith. And frankly, the Bible teaches you had nothing to do with that. God is the one who does it. He does it all. That's your justification. That's, if you please, this side of the bridge. I said this verse is like a bridge here. And then you have the bridge that spans that gulf, and it's that little word, therefore. And then we get on the other side, and there we find out, he says, uh, there in the latter part of verse 5, Keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. That is the other side of the bridge. The Bible calls that your sanctification. That is, now that you are saved, you've been born into God's family, your life has changed. You are transformed. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. You become a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, All things have become new. And so now you're on the other side of that bridge. This now is not your position, it's your practice. That side of the bridge is justification. That's your position. Once you get saved, that never changes. You always belong to God. Any amens to that? You always belong to God. You cannot lose your salvation if you really have salvation. Because God did the work of justifying you. And we've sung a lot about that in these songs. You saw the words back of me on the wall about his going to the cross and bearing your sin and your deserved punishment. And that satisfied God's righteous demands. And he proved that by raising his son up from the dead. And of course we celebrate that next week called a Resurrection Sunday. But now we're on the other side of the bridge and we're talking about your practice. You're living a holy life. Those words, it was for freedom that Christ set us free is your position, but therefore, crossing the bridge, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Those who have been justified by God through placing their faith in His Son to save them and therefore have undergone the spiritual birth 
they live differently. Listen, if you don't live any different, you haven't crossed the bridge. You've not experienced the justification yet. You've not been born into God's family. I don't mean you're not going to fight with sin. You'll do that until the day God takes you home. But here's the change that comes around. Saving faith always bears fruit in your life. You love God. We sang about that this morning. Though imperfectly, but you do love God. Any amens to that? Amen. Amen. You do love God. And also you hate sin. Now I've got to be careful with that because I sort of love sin. And so do you. But what I mean is there's a tension, a battle going on. You say, no, really, in my spirit, I hate it. I want to be free from it. I want to live and please God. So you hate sin. You desire to please God. You desire to please Him. So we see here in verse 1, your grace has a foundation. But secondly, your grace has a forewarning. This is one of those big areas of, of the book of Galatians that we really work through our way through. Your grace has a forewarning. Let me read verses 2 through 4. Behold I, Paul, say to you, that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. We'll talk about that and explain in a minute. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. That's the Mosaic law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Now those are pretty heavy words. You say, what in the world did he mean? And we want to unpack that at this time. Your grace has a forewarning. Having gone through the first four chapters of Galatians, we know what Paul's great concern was about these people. They were Gentiles. He had gone up into the Galatian region with his team. First it was with uh, with Barnabas, and then he went again with Silas and others. And he shared the gospel of Christ. He said, listen, Jesus is the Son of God. He came out of heaven. God sent him out of heaven. He came for one purpose, to go to the cross cross? Yes, the cross. And there bear all your sin. And because God is a righteous, holy God, sin has to be dealt with. He caused His Son to bear all your deserved punishment. He bore it all. There on the cross. In fact, He was able to cry out, it is finished. That's a victory cry. And then he yielded himself up to the Lord and he died. But on the third day, God raised him up from the dead. And so Paul came with this gospel. That's the gospel he came. And these Gentile uh, folk, they believed that and they asked Jesus to be their Savior and they got wonderfully saved. They were, they were so full of the joy of the Lord. They knew that all their sins, I'll tell you what, everybody is saved. Do you understand that? There's a time when you know that your sins have been completely forgiven. That's incredible. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And the person who is in Christ Jesus is the one that asked Jesus to come into their heart, trusting Him and Him alone to save them. And God placed you in Christ. And Christ in you, the Bible says. And boy, what a joy to know that all your sins, I mean past, present, and even the future, they have been dealt with by Jesus on that cross. They believe that. And they were so thrilled and filled with the joy of the Lord, but then Paul and his team had to leave and go other places to preach the gospel. And as soon as they left, 
in came this group of Jewish people. They had been Pharisees. And they had heard about Jesus, and supposedly they had believed that he was their Messiah. They believed that he died on that cross for them as well. But then they said, that's not far enough. And they said to these Gentiles, you know what? You really haven't gone far enough. You really are not yet fully saved. You've got to also be living out parts of this Mosaic law. It's interesting, it wasn't all of it, just parts. They weren't able to do it, but they wanted these Gentiles to do it. And what they wanted to really lead up to, because the big thing to them was circumcision. They thought, you know, nobody can get right with God and be gods until they've been circumcised. And so they wanted to lead up to that, but they knew they had to be careful with that. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. And so these new Christians, they were confused. I thought we got saved. I thought we were wonderfully saved and we had been forgiven. I thought we now belonged to Jesus and he belonged to us and we were going to go to heaven. But suddenly these guys are coming along and saying, that's not so. Kind of like people come along and saying, you can lose your salvation when you have asked Jesus to come into your heart and you're trusting him and him alone. Here's the big issue, folks. Here's the big issue Paul's dealing with. Either you are saved by faith alone in Christ alone and what he did on that cross for you, or you're saved with that plus whatever you can add to it. That's where we are. Okay. I don't think I'm so bad. You've already got a problem right there for there's none righteous, no, not none. There's none that does good. There's none that seek after God. So you got a problem already, but, oh, well, but, 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 but I work hard. I try to be moral. I try to do the right thing. I try to treat my neighbor as he ought to be treated. So it ought to be God. And God says, that's not good enough. Okay, well then I'll be religious. I will join some church. I will do some sacraments. I'll pray to whoever. I, I'll be religious. God says, you cannot add anything to my son and the atonement he did on the cross for you. You can add nothing to it. By the way, that's justification. That's why you did nothing to get saved. He opened up your heart and mind, and you put your faith in Him, and because of that, you got wonderfully saved. He does it all. He does the saving, dear ones. And so here, your grace has a forewarning. He's bringing that out. Paul gives this strong forewarning to the person who tries to do this. Add something to Jesus' atoning work to save them. And his overall summary is captured in that statement of verse 2, Christ will be of no benefit to you. If you're going to try to add to your salvation, then Jesus Christ is going to be no benefit to you. He goes on to explain that statement by laying down three disastrous results when a person tries to add something to God's atoning work in his son alone. Number one, you will be under the obligation to keep the whole law. How about that? You ought to be under obligation to keep the old law. Whether like these Galatian Christians who are going to add circumcision in order to be fully saved, or you and me adding our own system of works and religious observances, you will be obligated to save yourself by keeping perfectly the whole law of God. You've already failed. You were born into sin. You were conceived in sin, as David says in Psalm 51. One failure in any point, and the curse of the law becomes yours. I don't want that, thank you. I don't want that. Look at Galatians 3, verses 10 and 11. Go back there. For as many as are the works of the law... That's interesting, works. 
my works, my trying to do it and add to that atoning work of grace. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. You want to do it? You want to try keeping the law of God? For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by what? All, all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one, this is God, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. That's how I got saved. I put my faith in Jesus Christ and he clothed me with his right, God clothed me with his son's righteousness. Wonderful, wonderful. So, we find out here, first of all, that you're under obligation to keep the whole law if you're going to try to add to his atoning work. Secondly, you have been severed from Christ. I mean, cut off from Christ. Look at verse 4, chapter 5. You have been severed from Christ. I go on. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Severed from Christ, fallen from grace. Listen. A person cannot fall from grace who has never been in grace. Hear me? You can't fall from something you've never been in. So therefore, he's talking to believers here. And we know that the Galatians were believers, and he addresses this to them. Therefore, I take it that he's addressing believers, not the unbeliever, to be severed from Christ. And we saw this a couple weeks ago. Then would mean, though Christ is in me, I am not abiding in him. And what did he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, there are so many Christians trying to please God, but they're not abiding in Christ. Are they doing good things? Yes. Yes, they do good things. They even serve the Lord. But if you don't abide in Him, it's not the Holy Spirit doing it. It's you in the flesh doing it. And God says, there's no reward for that. You've been severed from Christ if you do that. You didn't lose Him. And we went back. You can go get the tape on that, the, the CD on that, about those verses we looked at in, in uh, John 13 and John 15 and uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and uh, Philippians chapter 2 that uh, help spell and develop, de- develop that out for you here. Apart from me, you can do nothing. To fall from grace would mean you have fallen out of the sphere of grace. You did not fall out of that grace that saved you and keeps you saved. That would be an impossibility. Your position in Christ... By the way, if you're going to try to get yourself to heaven, guess what? You're not going to make it, are you? Just isn't going to happen. Only God can do that. But you can come short of the grace of God. In fact, he mentions that over in Hebrews chapter 12. Those that come short of the grace of God, and therefore a root of bitterness springs up. And oh, how often that happens. As things don't go the way that you and I want. And so you come short of the grace of God, that root of bitterness comes up, and boy, that has destroyed so many individuals and people beyond them. That's living out the Christian life. You can come short of that grace, and at times, that's exactly where we find ourselves. So, your grace has a foundation, your grace has a forewarning, but also, your grace has a future. I love it. Look at verses 5 and 6. Your grace has a future. For we through the Spirit, oh, he introduces the Holy Spirit again. This chapter has, speaks a lot about the Holy Spirit. For we through the Spirit, by faith, 
are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. It's of none effect. But faith working through love. Your grace has a future. Because you have a permanent standing in grace, and you are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are daily waiting for that hope of righteousness. I know I am. Waiting for something wonderful to happen. Paul, Peter, Peter brings that out in First Peter chapter 1. Yes, God has declared you righteous, having clothed you with His Son's righteousness, because God always sees you in His Son. Did you hear me? He always sees you in His Son, never outside of His Son. It's His Son He's looking at, and you're in His Son. And yet, there's still a righteousness to be had, isn't there? One day I'm going to put this old vile, sinful body down and I'm going to enter into the presence like Pastor John Hill did. And boy, what a glorious day it's going to be. I mean, to be received by the Lord Jesus Christ and all those folk that have already gone home and be in His presence and be perfect for the first time. You won't be able to live with me. Wow. <laughs> because your grace has a future, you also possess a faith that's it's called working in love. You possess a working in love faith, if you please. As Martin Luther declared, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves you is never alone. It's a good statement, isn't it? And this brings us to the main part of our message this morning, which I'm still developing, and that is how to keep yourself from falling from grace. How to keep yourself from falling from death. Grace seems to be a very important subject here, and it's marvelous what we have in Scripture to help us here. In your outline, two major points we're going to be looking at this morning. First, your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. Hear that? Your grace, your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. Let me read verses 7 through 12. Paul says to these Galatian believers, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Wow. Your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. As we look at these verses, 7 through 12, I'm going to ask three questions. You have it in your outline. These three questions are really going to help you. They'll help me as well if we will only sit down and answer them. So the first question I'm going to ask you that's found in your text is this. Are you running well? Hmm. Are you running well? Verse 7. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? 
when Paul came to these Galatian Gentiles and shared the gospel of Christ with them, they gladly received that gospel. They got wonderfully saved. They were filled with the joy of the Lord and they were walking in fellowship with Him. They were enjoying Him and they were serving Him and they were worshiping Him. But something happened. What do I mean by that? Salvation by grace alone always responds in obedience to the truth. Right? Salvation by grace alone always responds in obedience to... They were running well. They were obeying the truth that Paul taught them and grounded them in. Listen, when it comes to freedom, we have a culture... And this is really permeating the church today. It permeates, it affects your life and my life. I can't, I can't get away from it. It affects me personally. We have a culture that's gone over the cliff in its insistence that everyone gets to do whatever they want and whatever's right in their own eyes, right? It's getting worse and worse. They say, I have freedom, and this is all about freedom, and you saw that. It was freedom that set you, Christ set you free, free. Therefore, stand firm in that freedom. And they talk about freedom. We have a freedom. We have the right to do whatever we want. We have the right to do whatever we feel. And nobody better step in and tell me what I can and cannot do. We'll even pass laws so that we get our rights to those freedoms. And even Christians today fall from grace by insisting since they are completely forgiven by God of all sin and there's no longer any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, they are free to do whatever they please. And they go about doing it. Wow. In fact, many churches will not even bring up sin for fear of running people off. Hear that? They won't even bring up sin. They won't call sin, sin, what the Bible calls sin, because they know they'll offend somebody and they'll leave, instead of God using that to convict them about their need to get right with God. And that God sets the standards. And by the way, as long as you're setting the standards, you're not going to be saved. As long as a believer you set the standards, you're not going to grow. You're going to be not abiding in Christ. So they'll tell you that they're not under the law, but they fail to see that those nine of those ten commandments that reveal the moral character of God were revealed, they were restated in the New Testament. The fourth one not, because that was specifically applied to the nation of Israel under the Mosaic Law. Romans, the book of Romans, more than any other book in your Bible, develops the teaching, the doctrine of your salvation. So it's going to be very important here. That book presents that doctrine of salvation. Paul makes it very plain that the Christian has been delivered from the Mosaic Law. I want to state that first. He makes it plain. You've been delivered from the Mosaic Law, and you are no longer under that law. You're no longer under its condemnation. But a person's salvation causes that person in grace to always respond in obedience to the truth. The written Word of God. We take a swift, quick journey through the book of Romans. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It'll be on the board if you, behind the wall behind me if you don't, aren't there. Romans 1, 4 and 5. Paul is talking about himself and the other apostles. He says, through whom we, and that's himself and the other apostles, have received grace and apostleship. Why? To bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. 
Why did he receive apostleship? To bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. Turn to chapter 6, Romans 6, verse 17. Paul writes, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. There it is. Slaves of sin. And Christ said, if you know the truth, they'll set you free. And he comes and he gives you the truth. And you have him as he saves you, wonderfully saves you. And you are con- transformed. And he says there, he says, now you have become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you are committed. Romans 15, verse 18. Just sailing through the book. Romans 15, verse 18. For I would not presume to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Huh. Resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. And finally, at the very end of the book, chapter 16, 25 through 27, this is how this book on the doctrine of your salvation began, and look how it ends here. 25 through 27, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. There it is, that gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And the preaching of Jesus Christ, who he was, what he did, he's God, came from heaven, and he is man, and he went to the cross, preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets. This even comes out of your Old Testament. What does? According to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, what? Leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. Your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. When you walk in grace, now you have a standing in grace, but I'm talking about when you walk in grace, you always walk in obedience to the truth. Back to that all-important question that centers around our main point, your grace has always, always responds to obedience to the truth. Are you running well? That's a heavy one, isn't it? Are you running well? Are you living the obedient life? There's a little chorus, and many of you will know it. Some of you will not. You'll be forced to listen to me. We, uh, we would sing it sometimes to our children. Probably should have sung it more often. That obedience song. Huh. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key, do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. That's no, we're not going to second verse of that. But it's a good little chorus, isn't it? Obedience is the very best way to show that you want believe. And action is the key to it immediately. And joy you will receive. Are you running well? That brings me to the second question that we need to ask ourselves. Verses 7, the latter part in verse 8. He says here, he says, 
Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from Him who called you or who called you. So my second question, is your persuasion coming from God? Now think that one through. Is your persuasion coming from God? In verse 7, Paul asks these Galatian Christians, who hindered you from obeying the truth? That's a very thought-provoking question, really. It may very well be this decadent culture that's hindering you and me from obeying the truth. If you're buying into its norms and standards of what is right and wrong and acceptable and not acceptable, then it's the one that is hindering you, that persuasion is coming from that. I guarantee you that your persuasion is not coming from God if you're listening to this culture. Sadly, for so many so-called Christians, it's the pastors and leaders in a church that is persuading and forcing and hindering people from obeying that truth. That's right. People are embracing all kinds of sins because the pastors and the leaders of the church are embracing all kinds of sins. And so the question is, who is persuading? Is your persuasion coming from God? And that word persuasion means to induce one by powerful words to believe. It means to strongly influence. So many Christians are strongly influenced, as I mentioned, by the culture. And have you noticed how our culture has now moved all its moral standards? All of them. You can't even listen to a phone without it happening. (laughs) Now, nearly every movie that comes out has nudity, profanity, takes the name of the Lord in vain, filled with murders, filled with adulteries, homosexuality, now that's really promoted. And that list of rebellion against God goes on and on. As I said, if that's what is influencing you, then that's what's persuading you. And that's going to affect whether you fall from grace, even though you have a standing in that grace. You don't lose your salvation, but boy, you certainly don't abide in Christ, and there's no power, there's no great work going on in your life because of that. All restraint, as it says, has been moved. How much does that persuade one and the subtle, subtly move them away from obeying the truth, and how much does that dull one's spiritual senses to the truth? Is your persuasion coming from God? Dear ones, how can that be? How can your persuasion, how can my persuasion come from God? Only two ways, really. And that is the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, and he's going to bring that out here in this chapter, as well as the written Word of God, and of course, getting under the influence of that. So it could be in a Bible study, it could be you reading it, you praying it through, uh, you going to church and so forth. That's how we get that influence or persuasion coming from God. And so I ask you, are you running well? Is your persuasion coming from God? That's a tough one, isn't it? It's one you almost want to answer. Okay, Lord, I need to do an examination. Is my persuasion coming from you, or is it coming from this world system? And that brings us to the third question. When it comes, your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. Number three, are you allowing leaven to permeate your life? Are you allowing leaven to permeate your life? Verses 9 through 11, Paul says to them, A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. 
but that one, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, I st- if I still preach circumcision, why am I being pers- persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. So the third question, are you allowing leaven to permeate your life? Paul uses a great illustration that both these Gentile Christians and you and I can easily really get a hold of here. Just place a small amount of leaven in a lump of dough and it goes to work, doesn't it? And the whole lump is permeated by that leaven. The leaven affects every part of the dough. You see, it really is difficult to walk in this filthy world, isn't it? And then the enemy has a little bit of territory to work with because I still am in a fallen body with a, with a sinful nature there. Sin dwelling in me. So if there's any leaven working in your life, what happens? Your, and your persuasion is not coming from God or the indwelling Holy Spirit and the written word of God. Guess what? You find yourself falling from grace in your daily walk. But your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. But notice, Paul's confident these believers were standing firm. Isn't that great? Notice what he says there in verse 10. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view. In other words, you believe that you're saved by Jesus Christ and Him alone, and you're not going to add to that this Mosaic law. Rather, you're going to learn to walk in the Spirit and thus overcome your flesh. And he brings that out much later on. But Paul is quick to back up his gospel, though, as being the only way of salvation. In verse 10, he tells the Galatian Christians that God will step in and judge the one who's attempting to persuade them to turn away from God's gospel of grace in his son and that saves him alone. He tells them that. In verse 11, he makes it clear that if he went around preaching and teaching that circumcision was required for somebody to be saved, well then, the, uh, the offense of the gospel or the cross would be removed. Here's what he thinks we think probably happened. These Judaizers, they were Pharisees that probably got saved, or they at least said that Jesus was the way plus the law of Moses. They had heard that Paul required Timothy, one of his disciples, to get circumcised. They had heard that. Paul did not have Timothy circumcised to get him saved. Timothy was already saved. That's to wake you up. He was already saved. He did that because Timothy's mother was Jewish, his dad was Gentile, and he knew that Timothy was going to have a ministry among the Jewish people going to their synagogue. That's the reason. He only removed the offense for that reason. In fact, he makes it very clear early in this letter. He said, Titus was with, was with me. He was a Gentile. I did not have him circumcised. He didn't need to be circumcised. And of course, they emphasized that at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. It was not necessary. Even the Jewish people could not keep the law. It doesn't save anybody. So Paul defends his gospel here when he says that. It's an interesting statement by Paul in verse 11. Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. These Judaizers accepted that Jesus would be their Messiah, that he went to the cross, that he died for them on the cross, rose the third day. But they said, listen, in order for salvation to be complete, you still have to be under that law of Moses. You still are responsible for keeping at least parts of it. 
And Paul and the other apostles said, absolutely not. The law has nothing with, for, with saving you except to lead you to Christ where there you put your faith in Him. It stops there. But he said, if I would preach circumcision, they wouldn't be running around and persecuting me. But listen, guys, you Galatian believers, you see that's exactly what they've been doing. In fact, these religious zealots, when they stoned Stephen, and Paul was one of them, by the way, at that point, what was the charge they brought against Stephen? Not about Jesus Christ. No, no, it was that he, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. As I said, the very idea that Jesus Christ's atoning work on the cross saves alone to the exclusion of one's keeping the law of Moses was a stumbling block to the Jew. If Paul required circumcision, that stumbling block obviously would be removed, but he did not require that. And with that, Paul pronounces the strongest words of righteous anger that you probably could pronounce on these false teachers. Notice, if you will, verse 12. This came out of the mouth of Paul. What do you say there? I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. They want to take the knife and circumcise. Then I wish it would slip and they would castrate themselves. That's what he's saying, folks. And listen, the Holy Spirit had that written down for you and me. Kind of reminds me what he said about earlier when he said about let them be accursed that bring another gospel because another gospel will not save. It will damn. And Satan knows that. It reminds me of Jesus' words over in Matthew twenty three twenty seven. He also had righteous anger, did he not? Just before going to the cross, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like a whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Paul didn't mince words here in this 12th verse. He had a little bit of fire there in the whole, as I said, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write that. But I don't want you to miss the main point of verses 7 through 12. Please don't miss it. Your grace, your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. It always responds in obedience to the truth. A person who says they're saved and yet they're not walking in obedience to the Word of God, no evidence of that. Listen, that person is not, that person cannot be saved. Why? Because the indwelling Holy Spirit always longs to do the work of God, doesn't it? It's always obedient. So, are you running well? Is your persuasion coming from God? Are you allowing leaven to permeate your life? The answer to those questions directly affects your obedience or your disobedience to God's revealed truth. And that brings me to the next major thing that will help us. And that is this. Your grace, this is amazing. Your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. Wow. Your grace has freed you. It's freed you. To express yourself in sacrificial love. Verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom. This is great. You're called to freedom. Brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law, you talk about the law, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But, 
But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. Reminds me of Jesus' words in John 13, 34 and 35. A very profound statement by our Lord, as His were, obviously. He said to those 11 disciples, and He says it to you and me as well, John 13, 34, and 35, A new commandment I give to you. Okay, I'm going to give you a new commandment here. That you love one another. Even as I have loved you. Wow. Whoa, whoa. Even as you, Lord, have loved me, I'm to love one another. That you also love one another. By this. Oh, I thought it was evangelism. I thought it was sending out missionaries. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love one for another, your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. First, your freedom in Christ defined. Your freedom in Christ defined. Verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. If you are a Christian, God has set you free from the demands of the law and its curse. You are no longer under the law, and its penalty is for, for not keeping it. Romans 8, 1, as I mentioned before, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, are you in Christ Jesus? Can you say definitively, I know I am in Christ Jesus? Say amen if you know that to be true. Amen. amen. If you don't, listen, you need to stop right there and understand why you need to be in Christ Jesus. But though you are not under the law and you are completely free from the law, now that you are a Christian, something wonderful has happened inside of you. God, the Holy Spirit, now dwells in you. He now dwells in you. And He loves the law of God. Did you hear me? The Holy Spirit loves the law of God. And He has poured out into your heart the love of God, causing you to desire to live for God pleasing Him and glorifying into your life. And He now gives you not only the desire to do so, but the power, the power to do so. Here's how Paul described that in Romans 6, 12-14. Romans 6, 12-14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but instead present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and as your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. There it is. There's that grace again. You're now under grace. Holy Spirit dwells in you. You have the desire and you also have the power to live a righteous life. And now go to Romans 6, verse 18. Romans 6, verse 18. And having been freed from sin. Okay, there's the slavery. Ooh, this is good. Having been freed from sin. What? You became a slave? What? You became a slave of righteousness. Hey, slaves, how's it going? Your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. 
God freed you from sin and made you a slave of righteousness. That doesn't sound like I have freedom to do whatever I please, does it? Not at all. Holy Spirit in me desires to please God. He is God. And notice how Paul describes this new freedom God gave to you in Christ. Negatively, it is not for you to use as an opportunity to gratify your flesh, your sinful nature, or the sin that still dwells in you. But on the positive side, sacrificially love your neighbor in light, and like Christ Jesus did, serve him or her. Whoa! That's revolutionary. That's putting to work John chapter 13, 34, and 35. And if I do not do that, then self will be on the throne ruling in my life, and those around you had better look out. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Your freedom in Christ defined, but also your freedom in Christ explained. Verse 14. Your freedom in Christ explained. Verse 14. For the whole law, man, the whole law, the whole Mosaic law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amazing. We know that Jesus perfectly kept the whole law of God. In Him, you and I also perfectly keep that whole law of God. That's our position. That's our justification that we've been talking about. And when we abide in Him, we keep the whole law of God in our practice. Do you hear that? When I choose to abide in Christ, I keep the whole law of God in my practice. Remember, this is God's sacrificial love working itself out in the Christian life. Go back up to chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Huh. And when you sacrificially love your neighbor as yourself, you're fulfilling the whole law of God. Think about that for a minute. Sacrificially loving my, my neighbor, yielding myself as Jesus did to serve him or her, would I lie to my neighbor? Would I steal from my neighbor? Would I bear false witness against my neighbor? Or would I murder my neighbor? Or covet his spouse or anything that he might possess? You see, you fulfill the whole law of God by sacrificially loving him, which means you yield up your selfish rights in order to serve him. That's Jesus Christ living in you. You know Galatians 2.20. We've already covered that before. I have been, what? Crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Let's put it a little more simplified, even though that's profound and simplified. Here's how it works out in your everyday life. WWJD. Oh, you know that one. What would Jesus do? Hmm. Your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. Boy, does that ever come out as opportunities every day. I'm a godly man prepared to preach, teach, going to church this morning. I get onto Highway 9. I don't know if you live on Cackman Road or not, but there is a stop sign there before you get on 9. I'm barreling down, keeping the speed limit a little above 50 miles an hour, so I'm breaking it. About 53. This guy comes up to the stop sign at Cackman. Stop? I don't need to stop. Look, I don't care if you pull out in front of me, but step on the pedal and get moving. 
And then I'm thinking, or the Holy Spirit says, Bill, you're going to be preaching this. Do you want to sacrificially love that guy even though you don't know him? Or do you want self to be on the throne? You see how it works? I changed my whole attitude. I didn't run into the back of him and run him off the road. (laughs) It's interesting in restaurants what goes on. You go in there as a say person, and the person doesn't wait on you like they should, you know. And you're not happy with them. I'll tell you what, try to witness to them after that. I have my rights. You have your rights as well. What does he say here? You lost them. You became a slave of righteousness. And your response is to be that of Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. Now this says, look, and by the way, we'll see how important it is because there's a development here. You've got to learn how to focus on Him. You've got to learn to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And you need to be brought right back to that when these issues come. And they happen in the home. They happen in the workplace. They happen at school. They happen in every aspect of life, don't they? But you can see the power of this. Your grace has freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. Thirdly, your freedom in Christ abused. Oh, we know this one. Verse 15. By the way, there's so much more here, but I've got to keep moving. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Your freedom in Christ abused. Paul is very graphic here, isn't he? Here's what happens when a Christian or Christians fall from grace and cease to abide in Christ. Here's what happens when they fail to yield to the indwelling Holy Spirit and obey the truth. They're like a pack of wild animals. It's like a wild dog that's just pulling so hard the leash to get free. And as soon as he gets free, he's going after that other dog and they're going to tear each other apart. Wow. Try to keep a wild dog from charging and biting and devouring another dog. And what a testimony this is to the unsaved world that looks at the Christian who, and, who, and, who, who give in to their sinful flesh and do this very thing. There are so many examples of this. Christian testimonies are utterly destroyed because they yield to this so-called freedom that they have the rights that have been uh, offended and asserted by somebody else. Christian churches that have been destroyed by this, Christian marriages, families have succumbed to this, and that list goes on and on. And so is verse 15 going on in your life, dear one? Verse 15 going on in your life. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. That's what happens. Is it going on in your marriage, your home? Listen, listen to me. There is hope. There is hope. In this very chapter, God gives you the solution here. And that solution works. It works. How to keep from falling from grace. I've shared with you two major principles this morning from these verses, 1 through 15. And they'll keep you from falling from grace in your Christian life, and they do work. Your grace, and I'm speaking now of God's grace that saved you and keeps you saved, your grace always responds in obedience to the truth. Listen. Listen to the indwelling voice of the Holy Spirit and be quick to learn to yield to that voice. Focus on Him. Ask yourself those three checkup questions as you think about verses 7 through 12. Ask yourself that. This week, am I running well? Be honest with you. Say, you know, God, I'm not. I'm not running so well. 
I'm pretty messed up. I'm pretty disgusted. I'm struggling. Tell him that. Is your persuasion coming from God? Because I'll tell you, if it's coming from the world or others around you, then you're not going to have this power to overcome. Is your persuasion coming from God? And are you allowing leaven to permeate your life? If so, just keep close accounts of God. Say, God, look, I blew it again. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I want to walk right now in fellowship with you. I want to walk in obedience to your word. And God always honors that humble heart. And secondly, not only does your grace always respond in obedience to the truth, your grace has freed you. Look, it's freed you to express yourself in sacrificial love. Instead of being angry with that guy, I can slow down. I can pray for him, can't I? I can say, Lord... I want to focus on you. Thank you, I get to go to church. Thank you, I don't have to tell the people I ran him off the road. You know? Do you express yourself in genuine sacrificial love to your spouse? To your children? Your parents? To those you work with? To other believers? To that person you meet wherever and in whatever situation you find yourself in, do you express yourself? By the way, you can't pull that off and neither can I. That's only the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the focus has to be on Him or you will fail and so will I. You just hop right out of abiding in Christ. And now you're in control. It doesn't work. You know that. Well, after Easter Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to discover some more powerful principles God has given to us that will keep us from falling from grace in this chapter, this fifth chapter. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I know that we've been very pointed in a lot of things this morning, but that's the way you are. I just marvel that you, Holy Spirit of God, would choose to dwell in any of us, especially me. When my thoughts are often not what they should, my words are not what they should, my actions are not what they should be, yet here you permanently dwell within me, continuing to sanctify me, continuing to work that work of grace in my life because you don't want me to fall from grace. You don't want me to receive that grace in vain. But you want me to grow in the grace and knowledge of my Lord and Savior and become more and more like Him. And that really is where it is, Lord. What would Jesus do? And my grace and my dear brothers and sisters' grace always responds in obedience to the truth. Not the world system, not their standards, not even my own standards, but to the truth. It always responds in obedience because, Holy Spirit, that's what you do. And then it is your grace that has actually freed me and freed my brothers and sisters to express themselves in sacrificial love. Again, that's what you did for 33 years as you walked here upon the earth. Never asserting, never demanding your rights. Often people abuse that. And yet you responded in sacrificial love to them. And now we have that incredible privilege of doing that as well. What would Jesus do? While we have so much to develop, so much to grow in, I pray you'll help us to do that. Encourage those that are discouraged, Father. Encourage those that are struggling. It may be struggling in their personal life, struggling in their marriage, struggling in their home, struggling at work, struggling in their health. Encourage them, I pray. 
And may they find themselves not falling from grace, but strong, standing firm in that grace. In Jesus we pray. Amen.